wonderful to be here, be back, and to talk about business in Harrisburg. And it's wonderful to have Jess here to uh, tell us about herself and her business and how she uh, how she built it in the Berg. So, so let's start. So, the uh, first question I usually ask is, um, give us a little bit of your background, share where you came from, and how you began in the construction business. Okay, that's like a lot of questions. It is, one, it is. I just big. All right, I'll right start there. off with the easy one. Um, where am I from? So I originally am from Western Pennsylvania, Somerset County. Anybody ever hear of that? So I lived there until I was about ten years old. And what brought me to Harrisburg is my mom got a job working, oh, just a few blocks that way for the Department of Revenue. And I've been here more or less ever since, um, other than than going to college. So. Um, just a, I'll try to give you the Reader's Digest version of how I, I got into construction. So I was not one of those college students that knew what they wanted to do. Um, I was always very jealous of my friends that I want to be a teacher, I want to be an engineer, and, and just had that connection right away. Um, that, was, that was not me. Um, but one thing that happened while I was in college, my last two years of college, um, I had a summer job working for a company called Reynolds Construction that no longer exists, um, was actually sold um, a couple years ago to, to a national firm. My stepfather was the owner of that company, so that is how I, I landed that job, and I worked 40 hours a week, two summers in a row. It was a nice place to work, really liked it, but didn't necessarily, you know, have that in my sights as a, a career path. So fast forward um, to graduation, it, it came very, very quickly. Um, I still wasn't sure what I wanted to do, but I had one goal, and it was to not move home with my parents. And I knew I, in order to not move home with my parents, I needed to get a full-time job. <laughs> so I, I started interviewing for jobs, um, had some, some, some great leads, and then my stepfather approached me and said, why don't you come work at Reynolds? And I thought, oh, I don't know anything about construction. Like, how's this gonna work? And then I thought about it, I was like, I have nothing to lose at this point. I don't know what I want to do. I do know this is a great company, and I do know I like the people there, and I do know I won't have to move in with my parents because I will have a full-time job. And I hate to simplify it that much, but it was really that, that, it was that simple at that point in time. What was your major in college? So I got a communications degree because I just figured, you know, um, that's not going to hurt me, mm -hmm. right? And I did find it interesting. It's I helping did, you tonight. Is it helping me tonight? That's great. Um, yeah, so I was a communications major, and, you know, I, I did, I mean, it wasn't like I didn't see myself doing that, but I wasn't really drawn to it. Um, so my, my stepfather said, that's great. He said, your job is going to be, you're going to go out and work in the field. I was like, what? On a construction site. So really, like, getting dropped into the deep end. Um, but it was really the best thing that, that happened because I was really able to see firsthand uh, what that business was all about, um, how that particular company brought value to a client. And I spent my first two years, there wasn't even a stop in the office, I don't think, to fill out paperwork, at the Milton Hershey School with, um, so those of you who have been around here for a while probably know what a special and unique place that is. And I was assigned to a project team and um, I worked with them for two years, and they were incredibly kind to me. And uh, I'm sure that was not a welcome gift on their doorstep whenever the stepdaughter or the, the um, boss's stepdaughter got delivered with no knowledge, no experience, fresh out of college, 22 years old. <laughs> yes, so tell us about um, when you first went like, on a job site from your, uh, your communications major, and then all of a sudden you're 
Was this your first job? Was your first job actually in the construction business after This college? was my first job okay. in construction. Okay. Yeah. So, um, you know, basically I went in there um, ready to learn and work and humble and not entitled. And I think that is why they taught me. And I think that is why they mentored me and, um, you know, respected me as much as you can a 22-year-old. Um, and I did everything that was asked for me, and I was a sponge, and I showed up on time, and, you know, um, definitely was out of my comfort zone. I mean, not only being a woman on a construction site, but being a young woman on a construction site. Um, but, you know, one thing that was instilled in me at a young age um, by my parents, so I'm from Western PA, where soccer was not common, but it was kind of getting some traction in the early 80s, or yeah, the early 80s when I was playing, but girls did not play soccer. My mom's like, well, if you want to play soccer, you can play soccer. So I ended up playing soccer on a team with all boys, and she was always saying, she's like, you can be out there with those boys. You can be just as good as those boys. So I, I think that mom's words always were rattling you know, in, in the back of my head to be like, you know what, it's okay for you to be here, even though it feels uncomfortable, it's still okay for you to be here. So I think that's kind of, I've carried that with me, you know, still do today, you know, um, easier today because I'm very comfortable being on a job site and, you know, have earned credibility. But back then, I did not feel that way. Yeah. So how long were you with Reynolds? Yeah. So I was there for 10 years. So I'll fast forward a little bit. So I spent two years in the field. And then the company was really growing at that point in time. And uh, they were expanding their markets. And they wanted to have someone come in to another person to do business development. Uh, quite honestly, that was much more in line with my natural abilities um, to connect with people, build relationships. And I did have, you know, some of the technical experience. I mean, not nearly as much as a project manager would have, but enough to really know what the process was and what we did and, and who we did it for. And so I transitioned into that role and spent the um, large majority of my career there doing that. Um, I was a vice president, you know, when I left and I had many um, I was afforded many leadership opportunities during that time. And anytime someone said, do you want to? And I just said, yes. You know, um, you know, do you want to be on the employee recognition, recognition committee? Yes. Do you want to be on the social committee? Yes. I mean, not that those are big leadership roles, but it was opportunity for me to work with others in the company. And eventually I got to be on the, you know, on the executive team. And, and so I think by saying yes and um, getting involved in a lot of things, I was able to, um, you know, prove myself mm -hmm. and get a lot of experience. Yeah. Then how did you transition to actually beginning your own company and why did you want to do that? Yeah, so um, I worked for my stepfather who was very entrepreneurial. I think he started five different divisions um, while I was there and he, he said, you know, come on to my office. I, I have an idea. And I was like, okay, what's your idea? So Reynolds was doing a lot of large buildings at that point in time. And one of the things that was expected of them and rightfully so was to make sure that there were diverse subcontractors on the projects. Um, that was important in the city then, it's still important today. Um, one of the challenges um, that his team was having at that time is the pool, the amount of diverse contractors that were in the community. And so in that, in that meeting, we, we talked, he planted the seed. He said, you know, you, you should start a company and become a WBE. And I was like, what? I'm like, not even 30 yet. I'm 29 and a half. Like I've done a pretty good job here, but what do I know about running a company? And really, you know, that was the seed that was planted. And from there, um, we, we put a plan together and I decided to, to take that leap. Okay. When was that? Um, that was at the end of 2003. Okay. Yeah. All right. So it was a while ago. <laughs> okay. And how did you go about trying then to you know, build your business and 
uh, take it from this idea, yeah. right, from scratch to a uh, growth trajectory. Yeah. So one, one of the things that I had going for me is that um, my full-time job at Reynolds at the time was developing business. So while um, I had clients at Reynolds, while they weren't mine immediately at GEM, I had already this base of uh, relationships and people um, that knew me, um, trusted me. Um, and so I was really able to, to leverage that. Um, the other thing was before we kind of fully, you know, launched, um, I developed a relationship with um, one developer um, in particular. So I had a couple of projects that were um, kind of in the queue um, for us to work on, and that was a great springboard as well. So um, I identified um, a couple of people to help me get started, to bring on my team, and then we just kind of built um, slowly from there. Hmm. Okay. Um, and so... What specifically does your company offer now? Give sure. So we're a, full, we're a full service construction services firm. And what does that mean? We do um, design, build, general construction and construction management. And just to dumb it down, I mean, we build stuff. That's what, that's what we do. Um, and we do that um, primarily in the commercial market. So higher education, healthcare, corporate office, government, retail, light industrial, multi-unit housing. Um, so really... Um, we're very diverse in what we do. We work all across the state of Pennsylvania. We work in Maryland. We have worked in Delaware, and we now have a client taking us um, to New Jersey. Uh, we do small projects. We do big projects. We do new builds. We do renovations. It's kind of a little bit everything. Okay. And um, I, it, I would think that owning, we touched on this a little bit, but being a woman owning a construction company, that's a very unique thing, I, I, I would think. I mean, am I right about that? And can you address some of the challenges with that? It's definitely um, unique. Um, you're starting to see more women in construction, mostly on the, on the project management side, not so much in the skilled trade. But you'd you know you sometimes you see a female electrician, um, you know, um, or a painter. But as far as like women owning construction companies, uh, I think there's one other that I know of, of size. I mean, there's probably some smaller in, uh, in the state. Um, she's out of Philadelphia. She's a union contractor. She's done um, very, very well for herself in, in building a business. But um, it is unusual. Um, are there challenges? Um, I may choose to ignore them. <laughs> um, certainly, um, there were times um, earlier in my career that maybe I don't think that I was given um, an equal opportunity um, that my counterparts, my male counterparts were. But my approach to that was really just to stay focused on um, doing great work and hiring great people and consistently doing that over and over again until it didn't matter. It didn't matter whether I was <laughs> a man, a woman, or whatever. I mean, I just, I felt like that was a good strategy for me to, you know, just kind of block out the noise and not let that trash get in my head, like you're a woman, you know, you shouldn't be in construction. I, I mean, and I will also say that I, I didn't feel that way a lot. I really, f I really felt like this community, um, you know, gave me a lot of respect for what I was doing. And I'm grateful for that. And I don't know, know that that has been every um, woman in construction's experience. But I have had a, a pretty good experience. Um, like I said, I don't know if part of that's just me blocking it out or if we just really have a great open community here. I'd like to think it's the latter and not the former. <laughs> Well, that's really good to hear. Uh, do you see, I know you, you mentioned this a little bit, do you see more women getting involved in this industry? Do you, is there a perception that the industry is becoming more friendly to women? I think, th I think that it is. Um, I think there, 
I think 10% of the construction workforce is women. So it's still pretty low. I, I think we can do a lot better. But um, we've been able to hire more women. 25% of our company is women. So that tells me there are, are more women candidates out there. I'd like to think that maybe we attract more women because we're woman-led, woman-owned. Um, but I do think we're moving the needle. I know some of the things that we are doing as a company to move the needle because you just can't wait for that to happen, right? You have to be out there talking about why this uh, – profession is, is um, great for women as well, is we've been going out and, and connecting with the school. So um, two women from my company were just um, on a panel at Penn College of Technology, um, speaking to um, female students about the opportunities in architecture, engineering, and construction. You have to make time um, to tell, those, tell, tell the story to those groups. Um, last summer, we had a high school um, student, she just graduated, work for us in the field. She didn't want an office job. She wanted to be out there with one of our superintendents. As a result of that time she spent with us in the summer, she changed her major before she started in the fall to construction management at Norfolk State University. And she checks in with me and tells me how it's going and she wants to be a superintendent. That's a good story to me. And so I think it's really about um, those of us that are in the industry you know, doing the legwork to recruit people in. So, you, so your company is almost twenty years old. Yes. Yeah. So, um, what do you credit your, the success of your company to? Uh, is there what's what's the secret sauce? What's the magic here? And being able to sustain and grow over that period of time. Yeah. Hmm. It's the secret sauce. Well, I think one of the most important things is the team that you build, right? It is no secret that, you know, I'm not a technical person. Um, I, I know what I'm really good at and I know what I'm not good at. And I think one of the reasons that we've been able to, to grow from, you know, a company that did $500,000 worth of work in 2003 to a company this year that's gonna do 50 million is because of the team that, that we've been able um, to build. Um, so it's part of it. Um, also, um, having the discipline of planning. The stuff doesn't just happen. You have to figure out what you want, where you wanna go, how you're gonna get there, what do you need to do it, what are the actions I need to take? And we've been really, in the past, I would say, eight years, been very um, disciplined um, about our planning. And you can see that in, in the results that, that, that we've had. Um, and, and, and that's a big part. So really our people, and I think really just figuring out what your vision and putting a plan together and then being really disciplined about, you know, following that plan has been really great for us. Hmm. Talk to us about a project that you are especially proud of or is noteworthy. And I know that when, you know, Jim redid my bathroom, I, <laughs> I, I know yeah. that, that probably is it. That but but be, Yeah, be, you know, that be, one be, sticks be, out. Yeah, I remember that. Right, be, be, that was in the early days. Yeah, right. Be, besides that, um, what, what is the project that you... It's, it's so, um, so hard to decide. I mean, obviously, this, this project is probably in, in the top, top three. You know, I really don't... Um, you would think I'd probably say, like, our biggest project, but the projects that excite me the most or make me feel the best are the ones... Um, when I know that we're impacting lives, you know, our purpose at GEM is building to improve lives. And a project that's maybe, I can't say it's my favorite, but one that um, I'm really fond of is the work that we did at the Joshua Learning Center in Allison Hill. Um, it was a, maybe you're familiar with the building, um, but it was the old St. Francis School, and it sat vacant for years, empty, bank-owned. And right across the street, Kirk Hallett had um, the Joshua Group where they would provide um, after-school tutoring for high school students. And he had the vision that he 
he, he said, we need to start sooner than that. We need to do early childhoods. So he saw this building across the street. Long story short, if you knew Kirk, you would know that if he wants to do something, he gets it done. So he ended up getting control of this building, and we engaged with him, and we were able to, um, you know, kind of shorten the story, but transform that place into his early learning center um, where they have three- and four-year-olds, and they still continue with their, with their tutoring. And um, getting to know him and the stories of the students um, that come out of there um, – those projects are really fulfilling for me and my team. It wasn't a big project, but it sure was, you know, meaningful. Mm-hmm. So in Harrisburg City itself, uh, when, I, when I got here 13, 14 years ago, let's see, this place was boarded up. Those buildings <laughs> were boarded up. HMAC was boarded up. And there's been such a, a renaissance. And a lot of these are his, from uh, taking the boards off of historic buildings. Mm-hmm. Uh, renovating them to the studs, uh, adaptive reuse. Uh, Can you address a little bit about uh, the uh, historic renovation segment of of what you do and uh, how meaningful that's been to your company and, and also to Harrisburg? Yeah, so we've had the opportunity to work on several adaptive reuse projects in the city. Um, They're a lot of fun, but they're really challenging, those old buildings. Adam, you probably remember a couple of stories, you know, you can, you can only price what you can see and then you start to uncover and you're like, you find lots of fun surprises. Um, but it's, it's, those projects are really fun. A couple examples of projects, we did the Susquehanna Art Museum um, where we took the old bank building and, and, and added on um, really the bank building in disrepair and really being able to transform um, something back to the way that it that originally was, which is really what happened in that bank space. And we had a, a company called Novinger Group um, restore the plaster ceiling and the integral work that has to go into it. There's really a lot of details in what we do, especially on, on a project like that. Um, of course, this project falls in, into that category. And our latest project that we're doing um, is the Atlas Building, which is at the corner of 6th and McClay. We're working with Adam Most on, on that project in the early stages. And um, we're starting with the uh, masonry restoration on the outside. So what I'd say about those projects is, you know, they take a, a, lot, of, a lot of patience, a lot of detailed planning. Um, but bringing those buildings back to life and the developers that are willing to take those on um, deserve all the credit in the world. It's not an easy um, investment to make. And a lot of those projects um, require both the private um, funds and then public funds. This project had that we're sitting in today had um, RACP dollars and so does Adam Moss projects. That's really the key in many ways to making those projects um, a reality. Um, what would you say is, in building your business over the last 20 years, one of the biggest challenges you've run into? Well, personally, when I reflect back on a challenging time, it was probably um, when I had my daughter. Um, so I had Stella when I w- was 37 um, in 2011. And I will say I completely underestimated how difficult it would be to have a newborn baby and run a business and do it all on no sleep with a husband that was traveling and moving into a new house. And it was a, like, I haven't forgotten. That's still, it's been you know, 10 years and I'm still a little scarred, but it was a really um, difficult time um, that of course I, I got through, but I would say that, that that is a time that sticks out to me. And I think what I learned from that experience is that um, 
asking for help is is a very good thing to do. Um, and so that's that was definitely something that sticks out. I and mean, people talk about work life balance, but I felt like there was there was this no balance. So, you know, I had my, my baby gem group that I couldn't let those folks down, right? I felt like I needed to rush back to work, and I did. I was only off for six weeks, and then I was there, and I had this tiny baby, and I'm not sleeping. I was like, what did I think I was doing? But, you know, well, you know I, would, I would give uh, a working mother some advice and how to do things differently, but I thought I could do it all, I guess is what I was thinking, without any help, and yeah, what, that was not a true story. What, what would be your advice? My advice would be to, you know, have, have a better plan and talk to other mothers and realize how hard it is and, you know, what was really required. I mean, I had my mom right down the street and, you know, I was like, no, I'm good, I'm good. And I suffered. You know, I suffered probably when, when I didn't need to. And maybe I would have hired a nanny. <laughs> no, but not everybody can do that. And I don't know that we would have done that at the time. But, yeah, I think the lesson learned is, you know, we all have a lot of good people around us. Um, and ask for help. And that's not just like, you know, asking for help with the family stuff, but ask people for help in your office. And, you know, I was too proud to really, you know, let people know that this is harder than I thought and I need you guys to step up and help me. Because I, I felt like um, they would look at me differently. And I don't think that's the case. I don't think that they would have, you know, because a lot of people have families and, you know, have, have been where I was. So that's, that's a lesson learned. Okay. Um, so bringing it forward a little bit towards more recent times, the last two years have been incredibly trying for all businesses. And as a small business owner myself, <laughs> I'm painfully aware of this. Um, how were you guys able to kind of pivot during the pandemic and survive it and come out the other side? Right. So before we started, Larry and I were just talking about the day that, you know, the world shut down and, uh, we weren't allowed to perform any construction work for six weeks. And when more than half of my company ha are field-facing employees, meaning if the job site's not open, they have nowhere to go. That was, that was a scary moment. And quite frankly, we had no, no plan for that. I don't think that we are alone in not having um, a plan for that. Um, but I'm proud of like how, how we pivoted um, pretty quickly and, and making a commitment to keep everybody on board and not lay anybody off. So one of the things that we did just to address our field staff is we have a very, um, we have a big focus on training. And we said, well, these guys do this amount of training over the course of a year. What if we just have them do it all right now? <laughs> and so like we got really rigorous with, you know, getting our training plans together. And so we took advantage of the time that we have with them to do training um, and, and other things. So we, we did keep everybody working. Um, fortunately for us, it was only a six-week pause. And once that six-week pause was over, we were able to resume work. Um, um, the, current, the current projects were underway. And um, we had a couple of owners that were scared, right? We had a dentist that was getting ready to build a new building. He wasn't able to see patients, so he's like, I'm not going to build my new building. So we did have some projects that did get put on hold, but largely people kept moving forward. And that was um, very, very good for us. Um, one of the things that we, we did have to, you know, pivot on is our clients still wanted their jobs done on time. That's, we're very sorry that, um, you know, you were down for six weeks, but Lebanon Valley College still needs to open this new building um, in August. So 
sorry about that, but how are you going to get done? And that's what I'm most proud of with my team. You nobody was discouraged, and you know we found a way to recover those schedules and, and get the jobs done. So um, you do what you have to do, and I think everybody's pretty motivated too after not being able to work for six weeks. So um, we rallied and um, were able to perform pretty well. Now, I mean, you know, um, post pandemic, and I hope that that's true. I'm just going to say that and, and cross <laughs> my fingers. Right. Uh, what, what are your challenges now? I think they're probably a unique, well, uh, another set of challenges than the ones that you had two years ago. Sure. So my challenges aren't unique from um, the rest of um, the business owners out there. I mean, it's, it's people. I mean, it's, it's very difficult. We have a fantastic team right now. Um, so energized and proud of the team that we have today. And um, we put a lot of thought and energy on how to retain that team, make them feel valued, make them feel like they're a part of something. Um, obviously you have to have the other things in check, you know, compensation, robust benefits package, but beyond that, you know, what kind of place are they coming to work to? What are they a part of? You know, do they want to be a part of building to improve lives? How do we make them feel that that that's a good thing? But people's our biggest challenge. You know, we used to just hire when we need somebody. Now we just have an ongoing recruiting, you know, process. We're always looking for a project manager, superintendent, because if we wait till we need somebody, we're in trouble. It takes sometimes three months for us to hire a project manager. And that's because we, you know, we're just not taking a warm body off the street. You know, we have a certain type of individual, you know, beyond technical skills, right? In construction, there's some check the box things. Can you do this? Have you done that? But then beyond that, you know, are you going to fit with the team? You know, what's the culture? But I would say that's one of the most significant challenges. Beyond that, you know, I, I feel like I'm, you're listening to the news here. Supply chain is all, you know, jacked up, you know, a, as we know. Um, we're managing our clients' expectations all the time, you know, about when things are coming. Um, we've had pretty good luck, you know, so far in, in being able to get things um, when we need them, but that's certainly a challenge. And then pricing. The price volatility um, was a more significant issue a few months ago. It's starting to level out, uh, but prices are not going down. That That is for certain. So, you know, we have clients that think, well, if I wait, maybe it'll get better. There's, there's no indications that that is going to happen. In fact, I listened to an economist yesterday, um, and they confirmed that. So those, those are some of the things we're facing, people, product, um, and um, you know, supply chain. Mm -hmm. yeah. uh, on the workforce front, uh, is there any movement to try to increase uh, the focus on trades in education. Mm -hmm. I've been hearing for a very long time now that schools are going to move more towards that area mm -hmm. and they're going to put more emphasis on trying to fill, you know, jobs for construction mm -hmm. and other kind of trades. And I don't know if it's ever really happened. Doesn't seem to me like maybe it has. Uh, do you, are you optimistic or pessimistic on that front? I think I'm optimistic. Um, so it's something that absolutely needs to happen. You know, talked about one of the challenges, um, and I should have mentioned this, but it's definitely labor. Um, our subcontractors that work for us on projects are having a very difficult time getting um, skilled trades to come work for their company. Um, we had a painter um, on a project, and it took him four weeks to do work that it should have taken two weeks because he could only supply two painters. And... They just don't have the guys. I hate to say guys, but in this case, it was guys. Um, they just don't have, you know, the staff. It's, it's a real problem. And I think the challenge is, um, and I think that we can shift this, is you know, the narrative hasn't been great, like, over the years about the trades. Like, when I look back to when I was in um, high school, which was a very long time ago, um, you did that because you couldn't go to college. That's a bad narrative, 
Um, and that yeah. needs Same here, to be I remember. like eradicated. I think a lot of that has been, but I still think that that is lingering. And so, you know, one of the things that we've talked about doing is, you know, we need to engage with the schools, you know, and we need to be going into the Votex and giving these internships. We have a intern right now, Juan Mesa from Dauphin County Technical School. He interned with us in the fall. And now in the spring, he graduates, graduates, excuse me, in um, June, and we fully intend to hire him. I mean, so I think it takes the employers, those of us in the industry too, to be a partner, you know, with those schools and go in and talk to the students early on and say, this is a great career. You get to be creative. You get to be, you know, on great projects. You get to shape a community. Like there, like I said, the, the narrative needs to change, and I, I think that is has been part of the issue but i think it can get better um the other thing that we're doing right now um, we're working on a project um at the milton hershey school it's a new school called the Catherine hershey school for um, early learning and we're building that building for them we've taken on two interns from milton hershey school and um actually ran into them two times when i was on site and uh our team has taken them on they're really doing cool stuff with them but it takes that kind of engagement i think to slowly build the trades back up yeah are you doing the one in Harrisburg no we're doing the one in Hershey okay yes yeah I, yeah I think I don't think that that started yet no it didn't I think yet. there's maybe slated to start in the fall mm -hmm. yeah okay so speaking of community can you talk talk to us about community involvement like what your company does as far as getting involved in the community and, and why that's important yeah so very early on in my career um, that was instilled in me that that you give back, you know, you roll up your sleeves. So, you know, in 1997, I, I, I started working in 96 and then 97, I was like, all right, it's time to roll up my sleeve. And my first volunteer gig was at the United Way. And I've been involved in the community ever since. And so I, that has been important for me, for Jem to be visible um, in the community. Cause I do believe that we have um, gained so much, you know, at our company, you know, from this community, um, working with organizations that we really, you know, should be giving back. So um, it's, you know, boxing stuff up at the food bank and getting a team together to do that, you know, bull for kids sake and, and bringing everybody together. Our goal is, you know, three times a year, not just, you know, one person, but to bring our team out together to support the community. And it's fun. It's also fun. Like it's the right thing to do, but it's also um, really fun. And, you know, personally for me, um, I have grown so much from the um, community roles that I have served in, whether it was being HYP president, which I was reluctant to do, didn't have time to do, didn't really want to do, but said yes. And it was one of the best things that, that I ever did. I was totally outside of my comfort zone. We had no executive director. I had no help, but it was awesome. So, um, I, so I, I try to be a role model for, for, you know, my team to say, I know you don't have time, but you'll be so glad you did it. Um, so it's just been such a big, big part of my life. And I've tried to, um, you know, kind of push that down into my organization. Mm -hmm. So in Harrisburg, as we talked about before, there's been a lot of progress in rebuilding the city, essentially. Um, what's your what's your feelings going forward? Uh, do you think that Harrisburg, as far as development goes, is on a good path or not? Or how do you feel about the city itself? There seems there's there. I mean, you, you take a drive around and you can just see um, how much development, how much building, you know, is going on. And it's not just kind of in one sector. I mean, you've got 
government going on. You've got community projects going on. You've got um, multi-unit housing, which is fancy word for, you know, a lot of apartment projects with Harristown doing. So I, I think that there is a, is a lot happening, and I have no reason to think um, that that's not going to continue um, based on, on some of the projects that we're tracking and doing. So I think... Um, yeah, I'm, I'm optimistic that that's going to continue. Now, is, is there red tape? Are there things that, that could stop those projects? You know, absolutely. And we were kind of chatting, you know, a little bit about that, that earlier. Um, the stars have to align for some of these projects to come together. You know, we talked a little bit about funding. Um, some, t you know, developers oftentimes need that public money to meet the private money um, to happen for, for those projects to come to fruition. So hopefully our, our state and the other people that give out grants continue to be generous, you know, to the city and really see the value in, in those projects. I also think it's, you know, when you go to present a project in front of whether it's city council or it's, you know, um, you know, submitting your, your building plans, you know, make sure you do your homework, make sure you're meeting the zoning, make sure you've addressed all harbors requirements. If we, if you, there are a lot of obstacles that can get in the way of these, these projects moving forward. Um, but I think with good planning and, and knowing the rules of the road, I guess, to do work in the city is, is really important. And can you still stumble? Yeah. But I think, you know, if you kind of have your funding, know how to do work in the city, you know, know what the concern, concerns are, have community buy-in, you know, before you try to get it across the finish line, talk to the people in the community. How's it going to impact them? You know, there's, I think there's a lot, a lot more layers sometimes doing work in Harrisburg, not like insurmountable obstacles, but you just have to know, like I said, the rules of the road here. I can't agree with you more. So uh, I have covered over the years countless planning commission, zoning board, city council, meetings, HARB, and I'm always surprised when people who I think should go to a meeting prepared to make a, uh, a presentation that is there to convince people to rule in their direction just don't seem to really have any, they don't seem to understand the process, they don't seem to have a lot of background, they don't know how to really approach the board, so all of that, that uh, advice is extremely wise. Um, uh, talk a little bit about developing the city versus developing the suburbs. Like, how is that different? So uh, I think one of the biggest differences, um, you know, building in the suburbs versus the city, I mean, just look around here, just the critical mass, you know, the density of, of building in the city. Um, biggest challenges, you know, logistics, you know, figuring out how you're going to build, where are you going to put your dumpster, how are you going to get material in and out, what if you have to bring in a crane, how's that going to work, how are you going to keep people safe, got to close down the road, got to close down the sidewalk, and not everybody knows how to do that. Um, so that's, that's a big difference than building in a, a new office building with in an open, I mean, it's not really going to be an open field, but in a more, you know, open, open area. Not to say those build, those projects don't have their own challenges, but um, you really, really need to to know how to, to to navigate here in order to you know have a safe project. I mean that's really like the big thing when you're we're building here and and not disrupting those that do business or work in in the surrounding area. I was telling you, um, maybe it wasn't you. I was telling somebody about the project that we're doing um, right behind St. Patrick's Cathedral, which is the Catholic Education Center. Um, we are building, uh, we're connecting two buildings, um, the original school and then the building behind it and doing a connector. We have literally no room to do anything. It's probably one of the most challenging logistical projects that we've ever done and just so proud of our superintendent for his, his patience and um, keeping 
people safe. We've got students walking in and out of there, walking to the Y for gym. I mean, it's a risky business. So, um, yeah, it takes a lot of thought and, and planning for sure. Mm-hmm. Okay. So logistically, maybe it's a little easier to build in the suburbs then. A hundred percent. Yeah. But we, we like hard. Okay, good. <laughs> good. So, so looking forward, say in the next couple of years, five years from now, um, where do you see gem group going? Where are, where are areas of growth? What do you expect? So in terms of our services that we're offering, I mean, I think we're going to keep focusing on our core business. And one of the things that we've tried to do, you know, as we get to know our clients is, you know, are there other ways outside of our core business that we can work with them, you know, and support them? So we've had some opportunities to do that. Um, and we, so moving forward, we want to continue to do that. Um, one of our clients is a, is a large organization called Centene Corporation, and we've built several buildings for them. Um, they are a MCO for the, um, the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania, and um, they came to us in, with, I'm not into all the details, but with a new service that they wanted us to look at, something we didn't do. We did a little research. We found a way. Um, that's exciting to us, to really be able to learn and understand our clients' business from top to bottom and figure out other ways to fit in and serve them. So I think that that's um, a trend that we would like to see continue. Um, I talked about us, you know, um, spreading out geographically. I think we'll continue to do that, you know, in a smart way. You know, you can't just plop yourself down in the middle of nowhere and think that you're going to successfully build a project. You need to build subcontractor relationships. You need to know the rules of the road and another state or or municipality. But I think we'll continue to spread our our wings, um, you know, with with geography. Um, But really, we just want to continue, you know, to to serve our purpose and, you know, um, build great buildings that, you know, improve lives. We just want to keep keep scaling that okay great so i think those are most of the questions that i had i would like to see if the audience has some questions maybe we can get some uh hands raised and uh get some questions answered yeah you spoke about how important it is to have a great team behind you and i have a twofold question what characteristics and attributes makes a great team and what elevates someone to a leadership position um, through their attributes, habits, mm-hmm. um, or what have you that you see? Yeah, that's a great question. So um, we create a career development plan for everybody um, that works in GEM. We actually call it an individual development plan. You sit down um, with your um, direct report and we map out the plan. Like, what do you want professionally? What do you want pr- personally? Once we understand that, we set you know, short-term goals, longer-term goals, and then what actions do you need to take as an individual to move the needle on those things? And that document is something that, that we reflect back on. We build training around that, mentoring and leadership. Um, so that's really the way that we can ensure that we're being intentional about developing people because it just doesn't happen you know, by itself. Um, how do you create great teams? Um, we have a great team right now, and I think that has a lot to do with um, – our hiring process. So we definitely are hiring for the technical skills, but we are de- we are also very focused on behaviors. And I think when you pull in people um, that share the same values or similar, maybe not the same, that might be unrealistic, um, values and behaviors, that getting that right group together um, can create that great team. You know, our, our five core values, we talk about them all of the time. We interview around them. And Unfortunately, we've, we've fired people around them. Um, so I think um, purpose and values and making 
um, those alive in your company and not just putting them on your conference room wall, um, talking about it, telling stories um, so that people feel they're a part of something, um, that makes, that's made our team great. Okay. Any other questions? Yeah. Um, as the president of your company, how involved with projects do you get on the day to day? I mean, you have project managers, but you yourself, how involved do you get? It really depends on um, the project um, and what's going on. I visit all of our job sites regularly. I know what's going on on all of our projects, not to like minute by minute details. One of the things that was really important to me in our office um, was where my office was located. And you would think that I would be like, you know, down with the, you know, executives. And my office is right in the hub of where our estimators, pre-construction managers, and project managers are. And someone says, why do you want to be down there? It's, you know, it's so loud. There's so much going on. I said, because that way I can hear every single thing that's going on. So I don't have to go down the hall and, you know, ask a million questions. I hear and I'm able to, you know, know, know what's happening. And I could tune it out, you know, when I, when I want to. But it is important for me to, to not be disconnected from our projects. Harrisburg is a, is a small community. And, you know, my clients want to know on some level that, that I'm connected and, um, and know what's going on. And, and I want to know. I enjoy it. I was um, at the Dauphin County um, Library Project that we're doing on Front Street on, on Friday. And that was the best part of my day, like being out there with my project manager, Derek, seeing what we're doing, hearing what's worked, what's been difficult. Um, and I think that's important for me to know, like, what's my team facing? Where are, our, where are we getting stuck you know, and that allows me then to go back and think about things that we should be doing, you know, differently, differently, you know, um, from a company standpoint. So, um, yeah, I don't know if that answers the question or not, but. So, so Jess, that is a really interesting project. Talk about adaptive reuse. Yeah. Can you talk about that project a little bit, the Dolphin County Library System project? With yeah, the so it's the, the McCormick, House? yeah, this McCormick Library is on the corner there. It's the stone building, and the building next door is the, the Haley House, and um, they had the opportunity to, the library's day, to um, buy that historic building. Um, there's sort of a whole backstory to that, but they had it, they didn't have it, but then, but then they got it, which, which, which is great. And so they are renovating the historic building and connecting the two buildings and then doing a small a renovation in the lower level um, of the original library. That will be the children's area. And then the, the um, historic building um, that's being renovated will be some administrative offices and a community area. Um, it's really cool. There's a spiral staircase that's being built right through the center of it. Um, the design is really something. It's not what I expected, um, but it's but it's going to be awesome. Yeah, it's a really fascinating project. Um, so so this is a building on Front Street that dates the uh, 1830s, yeah. something like yeah. that. Yeah. And it was owned by this woman. I can't remember her first name, but her last name was Haldeman Haley. Yeah. Right. And so when she died, she bequeathed her garden, which was on the corner of Walnut and Front Streets, to Dauphin County. And they built the library there on her garden. And now, many, many years later, DCLS bought her old house and is renovating it and connecting them. And that's the project that yeah. Jim is doing. See, I, I don't remember all those historic details. I know I was told at one point in time, but yeah. I'm not the history buff that you are. Yeah, no, well, I, I've just written about it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. that's great. I think um, 
I probably will see that project uh, this coming Friday because I'm going to make the Francesco so I said, hey, I want yeah. to show it to you. So I'm excited now. I'm more excited now than ever. Anyway, my question to you is, uh, from the time that you uh, uh, formed your company 20 years ago or something, mm -hmm. and, uh, and, and, and maybe the, uh, the phasing of that from the time that you started to, to, to the present, what kind of skills did you have to have from the, from the start and what kind of skills did you have to uh, turn to develop in the next phase of building that business or growing that business? Well, that is a very easy question to answer because I did not know very much of anything when I started that business. <laughs> I shouldn't say that. I should give myself um, more credit than that. But truly, um, there were a lot of areas that I was you know, deficient in. Being a communications major, You know, I didn't go to business school. I didn't have a finance background. I didn't have an engineering degree. So. Um, and quite honestly, my gifts were in, you know, building relationships and, and connecting with people was great for getting contracts, right? So I really had to be intentional about filling in those gaps. Well, I didn't have the resources financially to, you know, hire a CFO, hire a VP of operations. And so I had to be creative. And, and so one of the things that I did is I made sure that I had really good consultants, had a good CPA, had a good attorney to review my contracts. And that was sort of my... Um, I wouldn't say my executive team, but my support system until I was able to hire that internally. That being said, um, I made a point to make sure that all those gaps that I had, you know, that I was able to professionally, you know, um, develop myself over that time. And I did that a couple ways. One, um, through great mentorship. Um, by leaning on people that knew more than me, um, business colleagues, um, former co-workers, um, not being able to um, say what I didn't know, but I had a great, great mentors. Um, I joined a CEO peer group called Vistage. I've been in, in it for over 10 years. I had a, uh, gained a ton of professional um, development, you know, through, through that experience. So um, actively just trying to grow myself professionally and, and personally as, as many ways that I can. And, and that doesn't end for me. I mean, I still... I don't look and go, okay, I've arrived now. I've had my business, business for almost 20 years. No, I'm always looking at myself and saying, how can I be a better boss? How can I be a better leader, a better mother, better wife, better community leader? You know, what, what else do I need in my toolbox, so to speak? So to me, it's, it's, it, you know, it's, it's a journey. Um, uh, and, I, and that expectation I have of my own team just to continually, continuously get better. Um, and so I feel like I need to try to, to do the same. I had a question about just the growth of the company. So you mentioned first year, 2003, $500,000 in revenue. Uh, now you're talking about 50 million, if I hear correctly. Was that a linear growth? Was that up and down, exponential towards the end? How did that, how did that happen? It was pretty steady. I mean, the, there was maybe one or two years that we didn't ever have any big drop-offs, but we, we had a couple years where, where we dipped down a little bit here and there. Um, during the, you know, recession 2008, nine, we were actually a little late hitting it. I and mean, we definitely saw a dip then, but it has been relatively steady. And one of the things that I was always coached on um, is controlled growth um, was a good thing, right? Don't get big too fast. And in, in, in my business, one bad job can put you out of business. Um, it, it's very constructions and very risky. Um, and so that's, that's always been on my mind it still is you know on my mind so I, I tried to have you know controlled steady growth rather than yeah 
Um, so how do you maintain like your energy and enthusiasm when you're feeling like overworked and overstressed? Like what do you do to recharge personally? Yeah. So I start my day every day working out. That's how I clear my head. People are like, you really work out every day? I said, no, I really do. Because if I don't, then I feel like I can't think. So that's a big, um, you know, re release for me, you know, is um, physical activity. That's probably the, the, the biggest one for me. Um, you know, the other thing is just, you know, knowing like mentally when, when you need to take, take a break. Um, and that's not always easy, I think, to do when, when you're, you know, well, for anybody, but when, when you're in a leadership role, but giving yourself permission, you know, to kind of step away, recharge, having time to think, I think is so important. Like I'm a doer, like I like to be busy, like busy is a good thing. But when you're busy all the time, you don't really have time to think and you don't have time to reflect and you don't have time to recharge. Um, if I'm honest, I have not mastered that, you know, being, you know, um, taking a break but I'm working on it. I'm definitely, you know, a work in progress. Any other questions? Adam. You mentioned it a little bit earlier about uh, public financing and projects like this. Yeah. Um, what do you, what else do you see as um, challenges in the city continuing this path it's on that Larry alluded to earlier about, you know, this used to be boarded up, so it was HMAX, so it was the next one and the next one. We've gotten this far. What does the city need to do to continue that trajectory? Or alternately stated, if you had a magic wand, what would you make different about doing business, especially construction in Harrisburg? Wow, if I had a magic wand, <laughs> I had big pots of money drop out of the sky, I'd drop one at William Penn and, you know, um, all of those buildings. You know, I, th I think that obviously the, the, you know, the financing piece is a big deal. Um, but I think leadership is a big deal too. And I'm not talking about mayoral leadership per se. I mean, I think we all, you know, play a part in, um, advocating for projects, supporting for projects, giving feedback on, you know, what we want to see. I think also one of HYP's thing is like getting people in to the city, right? Um, I think we have work to do on that. The pandemic has taken a toll on the city, in my opinion. I don't know if anybody else has observed that, but um, I think that's part of it too. It's like shining a spotlight again on this being a great place to, I think a lot of people are living here, but to come and spend time, go out to eat, you know, um, recreate, like all of those things. I think that's a big part of it. And we have great developers. Um, you know, we sort of have a regular cast of characters here and they're great but we can't expect them to carry the water forever so how do we attract other you know developers um to the potential right we still have a lot of those buildings here and that potential and i think part of it is you know shining that spotlight you know on the city again and getting people back here and and, and telling those stories yeah well the diminution of the the state workforce has really been problematic because yeah. you know there, there's just all of that supplemental humanity that's missing, right? We have the people who live here. Unfortunately, the city has grown a bit in population. I think uh, that people are throughout the pandemic we're still out and about supporting local businesses, but you're missing that whole big chunk of people, and they're still largely not here. Yeah, I agree. So. Yeah, hundred percent. Okay. Yes, uh, maybe. Um, just when you first
first started your business being female, maybe not having the skills or the knowledge in construction at that point, how did you handle maybe like the rejection or people saying, no, you can't do that, or you can't be a yeah. female starting your business? How did you handle that or kind of grow up with that? Yeah. So I got a P so I, uh, I this is kind of silly but true. So I attended this Dale Carnegie course early in my career, and there was there were two books that we had to read that Dale Carnegie wrote, and I forget the title of the one book, but I call it the Worry Book. It was about worrying and and dealing with you know rejection and things like that. And the Dale Carnegie role, and I'm I'm paraphrasing, is you know basically take 24 hours right? To feel sorry for yourself. Boo-hoo, poor me, they didn't pick me, I'm so sad, and then it's over. And then like pick yourself up off the ground and, and start the next day. And I had a lot of those moments, but I would literally only give myself 24 hours to like feel sorry for myself um, and process those emotions. And I had to show up the next day. Maybe So that's kind of been my motto. That's how I handle that still. You know what I do? I'm much better at handling rejection now and losing jobs or unfortunately sometimes people like leaving my organization. I used to take it very hard. It still matters to me. I, I still care a lot about both of those um, situations, but I have learned to process it in a much different way. But early on, it stung a lot because every project mattered then. They all matter now, but you know it's just different when you're in survival mode. I'll be brief. Um, just going back to, I think a little bit of Adam's question. From your perspective, um, from your time at Detroit PE to now, how can young people assist your world in attracting developers, but also attracting workers? What can we, the young professional organization, or we, the young people who are moving here and starting families here and really digging in, you know, how can we be helpful in that recruitment process? And wow, I know that's a big question. It is. I, I want to figure that out, though. We will figure that out together because I think HYP has so much influence you know, and power. And I wish I could say I was in touch enough right now with you know, everything you're doing. Um, but I'd love to learn more about how you are connecting with, um, you know, middle school, high school, collegiate students right now and figure out a way to, you know, connect on that. Because I think that's a great opportunity that I hadn't thought of. Um, I'm not sure how many members you have today, but like I said, I, I know HYP is just such a powerhouse and so influential. And, and I think it could be a great collaboration. Any other questions, Jen? Um, you talked about the construction business being risky. Um, how do you decide where and when to take those risks? What sort of criteria do you use? Do you have any risks that you regret taking, like that were a little too big, that were too much stress or failed? Or yes. <laughs> <laughs> For sure. You know, I have felt in over my head before, but, you know, that happens from time to time when you're when you're a business owner and I always look for opportunities to grow from those situations and I do you know you come out the other side um, but you said how do I decide what projects to take and not take we do have a go no go process you know we, we do vet our clients make sure that they have um, they're able to finance the project you know 
We have contract con- contractual tools that we use. So it is risky just in nature, but you know we have a process and a due diligence that we do to try to eliminate it as much as that as possible before we start. Um, but there are still things that happen. You know, you think people have financial means and sometimes things change in the end and there are some surprises for sure. But we try to do our homework up front. And I would also say, once we get the project, we try to make sure we bring on good subcontractor partners because we're only as good as the subcontractors that we bring on our job. So if we're bringing firms on to do painting, drywall, ceilings that um, can't perform quality or don't have the financial wherewithal to complete the work, then we're in trouble too. So it, there's kind of multiple layers for it, and we have our own process for you know, making sure we're bringing on the right contractor, right subcontractor on, on the right project. Any other questions? If not, I guess we will wrap this up. Um, yeah, Chris. Yep. So, being this business, if you if you want to, if, if you have the chance to make Paris the, the greatest city you could possibly be, what would you recommend that we build? What we have in our in terms of amenities, uh, facilities. We should build an NFL football stadium here. Would you like that job? Yes. Uh-huh. I have not done a sports complex yet. That's on my bucket list. Okay. I, I do have a. I was thought, you know, if you want to attract people, you have to have, you have, to have attractions. Yeah, absolutely. I think I think one of the things that's lacking here, and this is not new. I mean, this is something that HYP has been talking about since the olden days when I was involved, is you know, total lack of like, you know, retail. I I shouldn't say total lack, but I think that we, compared to other cities, I think that that's an opportunity for us in the future. Now I know to attract those retailers, you have to, you know, they do their their market studies and stuff. But I think, you know, that's an opportunity. But I think we have a lot here already. I mean, we we do have, we do have a sports complex. Let's, you know, um, be honest. And it's, it's, it's really nice. And we have good restaurants and we have great places to live. So there is a lot of, I think there's a lot of good here. Um, but I think there's an oppor- you know, there would be an opportunity in the future that would be great to have shopping district. <laughs> we have a great farmers, we have great market. I mean, Broad Street's great. There's so much good here. It's, it, that's why it's a little bit of a tough question. But you're right. I mean, there's definitely opportunities to, to, to do more. Um, but there is a lot of good. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, a lot of the infrastructure is there. A lot of the uh, groundwork is there, but yeah, when it comes to retail, not that, that's uh, a big gap. So, um, any anything else before we wrap it up that uh, we may have missed that you would like to say mention? No, I, I would just say you know thank you for having me today, and it's great to be back with HYP, and I appreciate all the the great questions. Yeah, thank you very much. <laughs> <laughs>